Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingan. Adam, what should good the good people out there who love the Nashville Predators do with journalism and a few dollars? Well, they should pay for good journalism and then take whatever they don't spend and go to Jasper's and spend the rest. <laughs> you didn't even mention the athletic. You said pay for good journalism. You didn't even oh, mention. I thought it was self-explanatory. You didn't even point. mention. Go to the athletic, pay for good journalism, and then whatever, all the leftover money you have, because the athletic is like five bucks a month or whatever, you can go to Jasper's. You don't have to pay for parking. I wasn't even going to do the Jasper's part of the show right now, but you already did it, did it for me. We're running that up-tempo offense today. I like that. Go to Jasper's. They got the gold standard cocktail. They've got great happy hour specials. They've got great specials during Preds games, home and road. Even if a game starts at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday, they've got you covered with, with domestic beers and smash burger, all for like three bucks for beers, $10 for the burger. So go to Jasper's uh, over on West End. It is way cheaper than going to the games uh, and a great place to watch. So go to Jasper's. Okay. Does that sound good? Yes. So coming up on the show today, uh, last week we talked about the losing streak for straight. Well, now course has been corrected. So we will talk about the three-game winning streak. They scored um, 13 goals in three games in convincing wins over Winnipeg, Detroit, and Seattle on Tuesday evening, of course. Um, we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about some of why they're, they started very, very well in all those games. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Soros, of course, because every podcast has to have a UC Soros segment on it now. The ESPN Plus broadcast, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, Adam. We'll dive into that. There is some historical statistical data that I think we need to discuss. And, and I've got a theory about uh, an older team that I'd like to run past you as it pertains to some of these historical benchmarks that Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg, and these guys are either surpassing or approaching. Um, you did some midseason grades. You and the guys from The Athletic have all these really cool flip cards that you, you drop into stories and you got all your midseason grades for the National Predators. So we'll do that a little bit later on. And I think the Western Conference is settling in to what it's going to look like finally. Uh, so we'll get to that coming up uh, in just a little bit as well. Uh, so let, let's just, I'll start with sort of quickly laying out the three games in case you didn't watch them. Thursday against Winnipeg, 5-2 win. UC Soros, 36 saves. They go up 3-0 in the first period. Absolutely jump on a jump all over them on offense, completely dominant. Saturday against Detroit, a 4-1 win. They take a 2-0 lead in the first period. UC Soros, 28 saves. Sounds pretty familiar. Matt Duchesne, two goals in that one. Forsberg with the goal as well. On Tuesday, uh, a little different. They win 4-2 because they go, they're down one nothing. They're down 2-1. They come back from both of those one-goal deficits, and they win 4-2. Um, Duchesne with the power play goal late. Philip Forsberg with a one-man showcase. The early starts, Adam, stand out to me in the first two games, and then sort of the resiliency against Seattle stood out to me. UC Saros was spectacular in all three. Um, this team is now 17-0 with the lead after one. They are 21 zero and one with the lead after two. Um, I don't know what other themes you picked up through the three game winning streak, but this team is totally course corrected. Now that was the key. Don't let a four game losing streak become a 10 game losing streak. They are back to 27, 14 and one and challenging for second place in the Western in the central division. Excuse me. Well, like you said, when we last recorded, they had just lost to the Vancouver Canucks, their fourth consecutive loss um, and the sky was falling. Now they've won three consecutive games and all is right with the world again. Um, you know, the one game that stands out to me from those three games was the game against Winnipeg. Um, as you said, got off to a fantastic start, three nothing at the end of the first period. And then they parked the bus. Um, Winnipeg came on incredibly strong in the second and third periods. As always, credit to UC Saros uh, for keeping the Jets at bay. But after the game, while they were certainly pleased with the fact that they jumped out to a 3-0 lead, I think they were disappointed in, in their in their uh, defensive play uh, in the second and third periods. You know, you, you know that there is going to be what we like to call score effects, where if a team's up 3-0, of course the team down 3-0 is going to, you know, carry the the lion's share of the of the possession. Uh, because they're trying to get back into the game while the while the team in the lead is trying to defend that lead. Uh, but the Jets, uh, the Jets made it a little interesting, uh, more interesting than perhaps it needed to be. Um, but I thought the game against Detroit was, uh, you know, a tidy piece of business. And 
the game against Seattle, you know, as you said, the, the Predators' first trip to Seattle, unfortunately, the game started so damn late. And uh, as a father of a now five-month-old son, it is hard sometimes to stay up that late. Uh, but I thought that the uh, I thought that the Predators again uh, did a nice job, um, you know, getting back into that game. Uh, you know, those those goals that are scored in the last minute of, of any period are you know are are incredible momentum shifters. And the Predators were down one nothing. Uh, Luke Cunning scores in what, like 23, 24 seconds left in the first period. And the Predators have all the momentum entering uh, the rest of the, you know, excuse me, entering the second period. Um, so all in all, you know, they're, they're getting the job done. It hasn't been perfect, but we didn't expect them to be. I thought they took the lessons from the Winnipeg game in terms of, of lead protection and, and carried them over into the other two games. And we should note a pretty weird day of travel getting out to Seattle um, and I, listen, I, I'll say that I, I just thought that game was incredibly entertaining. Just, just an enjoyable watch. The Seattle game. Yes. I thought it was just an enjoyable watch. We'll get to the broadcast, the ESPN plus, and actually hearing new voices, call your teams games and all that stuff in just a second. Cause I do think I'm not a huge fan of that broadcast, but I, I don't, I, I don't mind it. I, I enjoy it from time to time. So we'll get to that in a second. But I just thought from an action standpoint on the ice, I just thought it was very entertaining. It, it got it ramped up as the game went along. It got more physical as the game went along. Um, it got more exciting as the game went along. Scoring was fairly even. I thought the Predators did a pretty good job of controlling the, the forecheck and sort of dictating pace to Seattle for most of that game. I love watching Seattle's jerseys <laughs> literally on the screen. I think they look really good on TV. I just think they're very pleasing, aesthetically pleasing. So... I just I enjoyed everything about that game, except for the fact that I fell asleep with like two minutes to go in the third period because it was so late that I was like dozing off with my with my laptop on my lap, like with my wife asleep next to me in bed. I was like falling asleep. But I don't know what else you could ask for from a team after losing four straight and sort of, okay, is this going to turn into something longer? I don't think you could ask for a team to do anything more than win all three games, take all six points, score 13 goals doing it. Your goaltender is spectacular. And you, you beat a divisional team at home. You go on the road for the first time ever in the history of your franchise to play in this particular building. And you, you come from behind twice. Like, I just don't think you can ask the team to do anymore. On a completely unrelated note, because I agree with all of that. How do you <laughs> feel about the, the uh, climate pledge arena sort of split scoreboard that they have? I, I did you, not. What do you, did they show that a lot on the plus broadcast? I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it enough. I don't know how much they showed it on the broadcast, but they basically have, a scoreboard that looks like it's been cut in half and one side hangs over one, one end zone and the other half over the other. Really? Yeah. So they don't have Google like it. the center. They don't have the center thing. Like you get in basketball and hockey. No, they, they do That's it a little weird. bit different. Google it. Take okay. a look. All right. Hang on. But vamp, vamp. vamp, vamp. I mean, when I, when I think about, you know, when I think about what we were talking about last week, that, you know, well, two weeks ago, I said this team was slum proof. Then they then they dropped four consecutive games and now they've won three in a row. And, and like you said, the, the, the key is to when you have a skid like that, you you find you try to correct it as quickly as possible. And you try to make up for that lost ground, which is what the Predators have been doing. So, um, you know, like I, I think you I think you summed it up uh, incredibly well um, in terms of what you expected them to do after they lost those four consecutive games. So after a lot of uh, critical thinking and, and analytical data analysis, I have decided that I think I know what they're trying to do, but I'm not sure I like it. Until the scoreboard, you mean? The scoreboard, until I can see it. Okay, so, so, you so can, you, the picture itself doesn't do it justice. So I feel like I know what they're trying to do, right? Because the reason you may not like a centerpiece scoreboard is that it's really far from the ends, right? Like if you're sitting in behind the net, you're pretty far away from the scoreboard and, and maybe you don't see the replays as well. So I can see why they would want to move those closer to the ends to get more people closer to the screen to sort of see stuff better. And then you put, you know, a screen on the inside of those once you've split it in half so that it sort of has that 360 view. It looks weird as hell though in a picture. Now, if I, if I recall correctly, a lot of the arena is actually built below ground. So and you're in the upper deck. There's actually, there's actually like a, there's, there are windows 
where people can walk by and look through the window and see what's going on in the building. But that's at the top of the building. So I actually think that's the I, I think the bowl is is technically underground. Like I, I I think it's like the Michigan Wolverines football stadium. The big house is like two thirds into the ground. Yeah, like so it's, it's a hundred thousand seats, but like you only have like three stories coming out of the ground. It's very strange. Interesting. Well, I, I hope to make a trip out to Seattle. I've actually never been to Seattle, and and I do uh, enjoy the Pacific Northwest, specifically Vancouver. So I, I do hope to to get out there for a game. It looks like a really uh, cool atmosphere. The, the the sweaters are just awesome. I, I love everything about the way they've launched that brand. I think it's awesome. You it's, like it's awesome. the you like the home sweaters better than the road sweaters? Nope, I like the white ones better. Because we did talk about that at the beginning of the season. Yeah, something about something Rex Road said about the way they looked. I don't remember. It was really weird. The 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 words he used to describe it. I just yeah. that's all I remember. I don't remember either, but it's something about like the, the, the cool, the cool icy tones are like, they, they calm yes. me down or something like that. I don't know. Like, but I agree that I, I love the, I, I do, I do love the color combination. I think it's very pleasing aesthetically. So uh, I'm a big no fan. No Cali Yarn Croak revenge game last night either. It, it was funny though. Cause I did appreciate him more because I'm watching him like kill a penalty. And then the announcer's like, well, that's a great penalty kill there by Yarn Croak. Cause he drove the, the half bull half wall guy down into the corner and like, didn't allow him to make any pass. And I was like, Oh, you're right. I do. I do miss Cali Yarncroke, but I don't know. The team's pretty good, pretty damn good right now. So I don't, I don't know if there's like a whole lot going on there. Um, uh, by the way, based on our conversation last week on the show, Adam, about is this the greatest goal scoring team in the history of the Nashville predators? Is it the greatest collection of goal scoring forwards in Nashville history? If you want all the data on all that, go back and listen to last week's episode. We still recommend it, especially the second half. Uh, but I did see a graphic yesterday during the game uh, with the ESPN Plus broadcast that said that that Nashville has is number two in the NHL with ten goal scorers, number of guys that have double digit goals so far this year. They're number two in the league, so uh, th- that means that technically they are number two. They are the number two deepest scoring team in the NHL. They may not have like the top level guys that are scoring forty goals, but according to ESPN broadcast, they are the number two team in the league with, I think they have six or seven, 10 goal plus goal scorers right now. Well, that was always the thing with the Predators. I feel like this happened maybe during the President's Trophy season. It may have been the Stanley Cup season where in terms of the number of double digit scores they have, they're, you know, near the top of the league. But as you said, they don't have that one guy, you know, so the Predators have seven, 10 goal scorers, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, Roman Yossi, Tanner Janot, Ryan Johansson, Yakov Trenin, and the incendiary Luke Cunnan, who I think has five goals in his past eight games. Um, he only needs 12 to catch up to Philip Forsberg and make my preseason prediction that Luke Cunnan <laughs> would lead the team in goals correct. Um, if, he gets the, if he gets the 20 goals, I think you're vindicated. Okay. I could do that. I, he got off to a great start. He got off. To, it's basically the same thing that happened last season. Luke Cunningham got off to a really slow start, but he was great down the stretch. And I think he had five goals in his first 36 games, and he's got that many in his past eight. So he's heating up. So maybe I won't look like as much of a fool for uh, for predicting him to lead the team in goals. So as I as I mentioned, um, this team 17 and 0 with the lead after one period, 21 0 and 1 with the lead after two. For lack of a better term, they know how to, especially with UC Soros, finish. What is it you about? You made that like, same joke on Twitter. It wasn't as funny over the podcast because you don't see the finish with the extra N in it. It's true. I'm just what, what is it just the Heinz thing? Is it just the identity? Is it the fact that they have I, one thing I would point to? I think Benning and Borvietsky, I think this is the best third pairing I've seen in a Nashville Predator sweater in a long time. I, I think they have been very good and when you go Yossi and Carrier and you go Fabro and Ekholm, I don't know if it's just the fact that they've got Soros and six really good defensemen, but this team is very good with the lead in the third period. They're very, very good. They're unbeatable. They've won 21 games with the lead after two. I don't know if there's more to it than that. I don't know what you've seen, but I, I watched now, of course I said that to myself out loud. And then I think, you know, the, the Larson pinch happened and all of a sudden Seattle scored a goal. And I was like, Oh, I guess I better not tweet about, Burrow cop and Benning being so great, but I do think they have been very, very good as the third pairing. I think they have too. And I remember, I think I had this conversation with Robbie Stanley last season 
because we were talking about how those two were playing together. And I was thinking back to recent third pairs in, in, in Predator's history. And the first one that came to mind was, it must have been, the it had to have been the beginning of the 2015-16 season because Seth Jones was on the team. But if I recall correctly, the defensive pairs at the beginning of that season were Roman Yossi and Shea Weber, Matias Eckholm and Ryan Ellis, Barrett Jackman and Seth Jones. Like that, like that to me was okay. Cause Jackman was still a serviceable player at that point. Um, you know, teams still liked those quote unquote, stay at home defensemen back then. And, and Jackman was a pretty good one, all things considered. And of course, now you have, then you had Seth Jones as a third pairing defense. And then of course he ultimately was traded later that season for Ryan Johansson. But the fact that they did have Seth Jones on the third pair, was, you know, pretty, you know, shows how stacked they were on defense. But yeah, I mean, when you think about some of the other players that they've rotated in that third pair over the years, like with all due respect, with all due respect to Matt Irwin and Yannick Weber, who did a great job all, you know, you know, within, within expectations as a third pairing, as a third pairing, I do think Borvietsky and Benning have been a really solid pair I think their numbers are pretty good when considering how they're deployed. I don't have that in front of me, but I can look that up. So I do think that has something to do with it. Um, of course, when you have a goaltender like UC Saros playing the way he is, that also helps as well. Um, but I don't think you're wrong in, in, in singling out the third pair. I do think it, it certainly helps to, you know, to have one that you can rely on, which they haven't had in, in the last, you know, before those two were on the team, at least for a few years. I, I don't even know what to ask you about Soros. I mean, th- 36 saves, 28 saves, 33 saves. I think the, I, I think I've reached the point. Like we talked last week about how dependent this team has been on Soros and in a losing streak, that can feel like a really negative thing to say, but if you want to flip it around and say, all right, if this team's going to go into the postseason as a two or a three seat and UC Soros is playing well and they are leaning on him, doesn't that mean they have a chance to win every series they play? I mean, isn't that the flip side of the argument? Yeah, we're super dependent on this guy, but also he's maybe playing the best hockey of anybody in the world. Yeah, because look, when when the Tampa Bay Lightning win the past two Stanley Cups and Andre Vasilevsky starts every single game, nobody's saying, man, they're really running Vasilevsky into the ground. Uh, you know, let's get Curtis McElhaney in there. You know, like that's that's not happening. Um, you know, I think UC Saros has shown over the past, you know, calendar year, you know, that he should be mentioned in the same conversation as uh, Andre Vasilevsky, as a Connor Hellebuck, as those quote unquote workhorse goaltenders that can start every game. Like with all respect to David Riddick, I, I don't think you need to see him except for the second halves of back-to-backs. I, I, as long as there's a day between games, UC Saros is in his mid-20s. I'm not worried about him breaking down. Just keep riding him. That's how that's how you win. You know, I it's you know that then that leads to the conversation of you know well would they be having would we be having this conversation if UC Saros was five inches taller? You know, like who knows? But I just I just think that as long as he gets enough rest between games, I have no problem with him playing pretty much every game. And he has sort of played almost every game. <laughs> so to answer your question previously, so about the third pair. So Mark Borbietsky and Matt Benning um, have an expected goals percentage, according to natural stat trick, at five on five of 56.23%, despite starting 41.46% of their shifts in the defense in the offensive zone. That's that's quite good. You know, their actual goals percentage is 30.77. They've been outscored. The Predators have been outscored nine to four uh, when they're when that pairs on the ice. But then you have to consider how they're being deployed. So the fact that they are controlling, what did I say? 56 percent of expected goals, despite starting 40 percent of their shifts in the offensive zone. You know, that speaks highly of the job that they're doing. Uh, I believe they called him Big Save Soros uh, on the ESPN Plus broadcast. And before we take a break, I want to get your thoughts on watching that broadcast. Is it um, is it Beth Hextall? Is that correct? It was Leah Leah Hextall. Leah Hextall sorry, it was doing um, play by play with Dominic Moore and Linda Cohen. Lo- love Linda Cohen. Love everything about Elko. Um, everything about her. And but but I will say the the color analyst that you mentioned, 
He did a couple of things that I, first of all, was very proud of. Number one, I think they had a very healthy respect for the Nashville Predators. So all you Predators fans who, who claim that the national media doesn't talk about this or talk about that, like they're putting Tanner Janot power play ice time statistics on the screen in the Calder Trophy conversation on a national broadcast. That is good nuance and really good content from a national broadcast that doesn't know the team on a day-to-day basis. And that, that reminded me of everything you've said about Tanner Janot, which is, Sure, he may not have 35 points like you know, like some of the top rookies do, but he's not. He's got like 14 minutes total of power play time or something like that compared to the other guys who have 80, 90, 100 plus minutes of power play time. I just thought seeing Philip Forsberg going 23 miles an hour <laughs> on his goal, like that's added that's added value on a broadcast. I don't love the play by play and the color analyst combination. They're not my favorite I've ever heard doing hockey. They were fine. I got no complaints about it, but I do. I did appreciate that they they paid attention to the team. They did their research. They added some cool information that I don't normally get on on Bally. And I got to see Philip Forsberg go twenty three miles an hour. I got to see a really smart, insightful piece of content about Tanner Geno's Calder Trophy conversation. Like I thought, they did. A, I thought it's a good job. I thought it's a good job. Yeah. Look, I I don't as you know, I don't pay as much attention to that you know, as every, you know, other people do, you know, I thought Leah Hextall did a good job. And I thought Dominic Moore, you know, did a, did a good job as well. But then again, I, I wasn't listening to, I wasn't listening intently to everything they were saying. Um, I, I do think the ESPN presentation, I, I think it's been, I think it's a work in progress. I, I do like a lot of the things that they've shown, like, like you were just addressing. Um, you know, some of the uh, advanced analytics and the, the skating speed and all of that stuff. Uh, so I, I like that, which is good, you know, more of that, it, you know, to the credit of Bally Sports South, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I know firsthand, and I'm sure you do as well, that Willie Donick is, is very much a, a stat head, just like I am, you know, him and I have had many conversations about analytics over the years, and they actually do stuff Bally does. Uh, with sport logic. So a lot of which I reference regularly on this show. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the stats that you see on the local broadcast, you know, are coming from sport logic. And I think that's, you know, really educational, but, you know, I thought it was fine. Like I didn't sit there and go, man, this is awful. But I also didn't say, man, this is great. I wish I could listen to this all the time. You know, yeah. it was, it was I, fine. It was I thought fine. she, I thought she was a little, and he, he, to some degree, it felt a little, um, I don't want to say monotonous, but like I expect the local broadcaster to maybe get up and down more to be more excitable. And Willie is very good at sort of like being the right amount of excitable at the right moment. It was kind of monotone. Like, yes, you know, I believe that's what yeah, monotonous means. octave didn't really change that much depending on what was happening on the ice. Like the tone of her voice, the, the level right. of her right. voice was the same throughout. Isn't doesn't monotonous sort of mean monotone? Isn't that? what that means i guess i was thinking about that monotonous i I feel like means like i don't know Um, it does dull tedious and repetitious lacking in variety and interest well but i don't i did that sounds insulting to her and i don't that's not what i mean the tone is a continuing sound especially a voice that is unchanging in pitch with and without (laughs) intonation so i was actually right i'll take that all right fair enough you're right um I will last last point here before we take a break, and then we're going to look at some historical stats for the Preds, um, some midseason grades, and take a look at the Western Conference. But um, the twenty three mile an hour thing is fascinating to me because that's basically what Derrick Henry was clocked at when he ran his touchdown against Buffalo, the seventy six yarder in the regular season, where he was he was the fastest run in the NFL at the time. That doesn't seem normal, Adam. That doesn't seem normal that a human being can run the same speed that Philip Forsberg can freaking skate. That seems, I, I don't know, like a space. Is, I mean, I know Derrick Henry probably is a space alien, but that's what I thought when I saw that. I was like, oh, 23 miles an hour. That's really fast. Shouldn't it be faster than Derrick Henry can run? So it's more impressive to you that Derrick Henry can run 23 miles an hour than Philip Forsberg can skate 23 miles an hour? Is that what you're saying? I, I think I can skate faster than I can run. Or maybe, uh, yeah. maybe you yeah. just can skate faster in... Once you get going, you can skate. Like maybe it's harder to get going in, in ice hockey than it is to run. I would be fascinated to know what, like, a speed skater on 100 meters versus like Usain Bolt in 100 meters. Like, which one? I assume that the runner gets going faster, but that once you're going top speed, you can, you probably can hit a top speed 
that's faster on skates on ice than you can running. I thought it was very impressive that Derrick Henry can run as fast as Philip Forsberg can skate. I was blown away. I was like, no chance. That's insane. Because they started the play where Forsberg skates up the right boards and just, you know, does something that only Philip Forsberg can do to tie the game. I thought it started at 22 miles an hour at the start of that, that you know, his push. And I thought it was going to go up to like 25 or 26. And it just kind of got to 23. And I was like, that's Derrick Henry. Holy shit. Derrick Henry's fast. <laughs> yeah. No, anyway, I, just, yeah. just an observation. I can't, do any, I can't do anything 23 miles an hour. So except drive. So. <laughs> All right. I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. I thought some of the, and obviously of course the music. ESPN, thank you so much for keeping the music. The NHL theme song is one of the greatest theme songs in the history of sports from ESPN, and I am glad that they've got it. It, it reminds me of my childhood in the 90s. reminds me of NHL 94 on the Sega Genesis, EA Sports. It reminds me of all those great times uh, watching uh, the New York Rangers when I was growing up as a kid. So um, love the fact that they kept that, that music going. Um, when we come back, as we mentioned, a lot of historical stats, some midseason grades, and a look at the Western Conference all right here on the Gold Standard Podcast. gold standard adam vingan is brought to you by it's brought to you by jaspers it's everywhere you want to be <laughs> adam's just stealing people's taglines some advertising firm worked really hard and got paid a lot of money to come up with all these ad ad taglines and you're just stealing them and giving them to jaspers where's the where's the copyright infringement problem here adam until i see uh until i see a cease and desist i'm just <laughs> going it's jaspers it's what's for dinner um listen free parking Gold Standard Cocktail, which has been on the menu since our partnership with Jasper's began over a year ago. And we obviously are huge fans of the cocktail, so go check it out. The parking is free. The menu is amazing. Uh, they're going to make some tweaks here soon, so there are going to be some new menu items coming soon, so stay tuned for that. $3 domestic beers, $10 smash burger during Preds games, home and road. So if you can't afford to get into the building or don't have time to get into the building, and of course, when they're on the road, Jasper's is the place to be after work happy hour, all that great stuff. I don't know where else you'd want to go to watch a Preds game. Honestly, they got tons of space to, you know, to space out if you still want to do that. Uh, I don't know. They're, they got great sight lines. The TVs are great. I don't know. What, what, what do you want me to say here, Adam? I think by now, if you've listened to this podcast for as long as it's been on, which is more than a year, and you've heard us talk about Jasper's and how delicious it is and how convenient it is to park there and all of the wonderful specials, and you still haven't gone, there's clearly something wrong with you. Um, so I feel like there's only so much we can sell it. You know, I think we've done an excellent job, not just on this podcast, but across the 440 network of, of telling you why Jasper's is so wonderful. And if you don't believe us, then you're a stupid person. (laughs) You know, when I launched, uh, when I launched this, this, this weird thing we're doing here at 440, I definitely thought to myself, we should insult our audience during the commercial breaks definitely part of the plan i can i can do the voice if you want <laughs> go for it <laughs> i don't know what i would say um i've been listening to this podcast for a year and a half and i still haven't been to jasper's because i like to pay for parking <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i like it i like it go to jasper's everybody it's a great place to watch the game All right, we'll get to some midseason grades, Adam, in just a second. They're all over The Athletic. Pay for good journalism, theathletic.com. I've got some thoughts and questions for you on the Western Conference, but um, some historical stats and data here for the Nashville Predators. Um, we, we, we sort of missed this um, last week on the show, and that's my fault. I should have mentioned it, and I apologize. But Roman Yossi, of course, became the all-time leading assist man for the Nashville Predators franchise, passing David Leguan. He now has 359 assists. Leguan had that mark at 356 for a very long time. Leguan still is your all-time leader in points at 566. Roman Yossi now at 489. So sometime next season, Roman Yossi probably is going to be your all-time leading points man for this franchise. Philip Forsberg is now up to 199 goals after Tuesday evening's score against Seattle. So his next goal will be his 200th. And only one other Predators player has ever gotten to that mark. Of course, David Leguan, 210 goals. So Forsberg is probably going to be your all-time leading goal scorer sometime by the end of this year. Um, And and so one of the things, Ryan Ellis is the all-time plus-minus leader for this franchise at 114. 
That's going to be a hard number to, to, to crack. Pecorine owns every single major goaltending record, of course, for this franchise. The, the thing I wanted to ask you and, and bring up is I think what's cool about the 2017 Cup team and then the President's Trophy team the following year is that a lot of those guys are going to also be cemented in the record books. And I think it's going to make that Cup team even more beloved, even as those guys get traded, Arvidsson and Ellis. And, you know, I, I, I don't – it cements those two years and that team and that moment in Predators history as the thing we will all talk about until they go on and win another one. Or if they win, win their first one, I guess, second Western Conference. Does that make sense? Like the fact that Forsberg is going to be your all-time leading scorer, Yossi's now where he is. I just get means a lot for that team to also have it, it. It accomplished the most on the ice, and it also statistically, historically, is the best collection of players that they've ever had. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. You know, I, I think. Look, with all I know, I, I say with all due respect a lot, but with all due respect to David Legwand, who was the Predators' original draft pick and was a good player for the organization for a long time. The fact that he is the leader in many of this team's statistical categories just shows you how much this team has struggled to find forwards that can score or, you know, players that can put up a lot of points in general. You know, it took, it took Roman Yossi until recently to, to, to overtake Legwand in assists. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that he's been the leading goal scorer for this franchise for, for as long as it's been around is, you know, says something. So, you know, I don't think, I mean, I think a lot of Predators fans have a lot of fond memories of David Legwand, but I don't think they'll be sad when somebody else is leading this, you know, team in points overall or, or goals. Alexander Ovechkin, I believe is the all-time leader in NHL history for power play goals. And I want to say that number is 75 more goals than David Legwand scored. Yeah. Alexander, Alexander Ovechkin has almost 75 more power play goals in his career than the all-time Preds leading goal scorer. So there you go. Just as a as a reference point for people <laughs> out there. Uh, it's all right. Forsberg's going to take that. I mean, Forsberg on his pace could do that in the next three weeks, frankly. How far? I mean, how many he, did you say he was away? Goal. He's his next goal will be his two hundredth, and then he's ten away from leg one. So you know he needs he needs twelve goals to become the all time leading goal scorer in Preds history. It's probably going to happen this year, and if he does that, that means he's challenging Victor Arvidsson for the single season record as well. Because Arvidsson's record is what thirty four, thirty four. I think thirty four was my first guess. I think it's thirty four. Let me double check. It was, was thirty four in twenty eighteen nineteen. There you go. Um, okay, so just I just wanted to that, that, that while I was looking at these, like, what else do we say? Oh, Roman Yossi, he's great. Like, oh, Philip Forsberg, he's the best goal scorer this franchise has probably ever had. Like, th th we can say all these things about these players, but the thing that stood out to me is the fact that the record book and the most memorable on ice experience this franchise has ever had are going to be inextricably linked forever. Ooh, I think that is that's a cool thing. So. That 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 the use of the word inextricably makes up for your misuse of monotonous earlier. Sorry, I'm sorry, so, Mia Hextall. Hey. I apologize. Yes, apologize. Um, all right, mid-season grades. This was not you, right, Adam? These are at the Athletic. You can go check it out. I it's wrote, up on the website I, now. I, I dispensed the grades. the The player cards, which we recently discussed, you know, were not created by me. Those were created by. Dom LeCision, our analytical guru. Um, I just brought them into the story because I thought they provided a nice, uh, a nice infographic. But in terms of the grades that were given, that was me. I gave the grade. And seeing like, uh, for example, there's a lot of like data and analytics on each one of those like player cards, yeah. right? Um, I, I thought one of the interesting things was like Tomasino, for example. If you pull up Philip Tomasino and you look at his card, it's like, oh, here's how good he is on defense. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I thought that's really interesting to see how, like, that's basically his strongest skill right now as a player, according to to the player card. Um, I do think you graded pretty easily. You seem like a pretty easy teacher. Um, you gave basically all A's and B's. That being said, there's not a lot to complain about with this team right now. They're in second place in the Central Division. Colorado is going to run away and hide. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, there's not a whole lot to complain about. Your only C's were McCarron and David Riddick. Um, which I totally am fine with your D is Philip Myers, which could also be Cody glass. If we wanted to include him because he's not even playing on the team, 
you gave out a bunch of A's. You're a pretty easy grader, but there's not a lot to complain about. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Um, so, you know, somebody said to me, why didn't I give out any A pluses? I don't know if this is unique to where I went to school, but where I went to school, there were no A pluses. The and A was the highest grade you could receive. So you could get A, A minus, B plus, B, B minus, et cetera. There was no A plus. So if you got, if, if, if a player received an A, that means they received the highest mark. And we've talked about this team overachieving. And as a result, you know, you know, the players have overachieved and the, and the team has as a result. So yeah, there wasn't really a lot to, to, to complain about. Um, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the A's I gave A's to Matt Duchesne, Tanner Janot, Roman Yossi and UC Saros. I gave A minuses to, I think Alex Carrier, Ryan Johansson, Mikhail Granlund. I think that might be it. Yep. The list of A or A minuses, just all the A's, was Alex Carrier, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Mikhail Granlund, Tanner Janot, Ryan Johansson, Roman Yossi, UC Saros. And when we started this season, we said the stars have to be stars for this team to even have a chance to overachieve. Hard to argue with that list right there. Those are all the highest paid players, and they've all they're all producing at a at a, at a really high level. Oh, by the way, you mix in you know, Alex Carrier, who's just, again, I think he's an absolute superstar in the making. So, um, superstar. Yes. I think he is. I think he, like, remember we talked all summer, like how much he leapfrogged Dante Fabro, right? We did say that. Yes, we did. To me, it's not even close. Like I still think I would, (laughs) I'm holding on to Alex Carrier for dear life. If I'm the predators. Well, you know, you, so unfortunately, you know, it was announced on Wednesday um, by the Flyers, who are having a god awful season. They've dropped 13 consecutive games. They are 0 <laughs> 10 and 3 in their past 13 games. Ryan Ellis has appeared in four games for them this season, and their GM, Chuck Fletcher, said that it is likely that Ryan, as well as Sean Couturier, who's also been injured, um, will not play the rest of the season um, and could require surgery. So if that is the case, in the first season with the Flyers, Ryan Ellis played four games. And we talked about when, when they traded him, you know, how important Ryan Ellis has been to this organization uh, for, you know, for several years. But, you know, if you're the Predators, uh, you, you dodged a bullet, you know, by trading Ryan Ellis and, and having a, a more than capable younger replacement in, in, uh, in Alex Carrier to play on the right side with Roman Yossi. So, you know, that was a shrewd P, you know, look, we, we've, we've talked about Cody glass. We've talked about Philip Myers. You know, we've talked about how this trade has not worked out for anybody on the ice, but you know, you can swallow it a little bit when you realize just how good Alex Carrier has been in a, in an elevated role. And Matias Ekholm is now resigned. And, and with the money that you gave away from Ryan Ellis. Yes. And, and I just think it speaks to John Hines that you look at these grades and you go, L- Luke Cunning, young and fairly new to the organization. Ellie Tolvin and young and fairly new to the starting lineup. Philip Tomasino, very young, very new. Yakov Trenin, fairly young, fairly new to the starting lineup. And, and all these guys, Burrow, Benning, Cousins, you know, all these guys getting Bs. You know, th- I think, again, it speaks to just sort of the holistic improvement across the board like it's just again you go back to that that march middle of march of last year and this team is one of the best teams in the NH- in the nhl like period uc saros is the best goal one of the best goaltenders in the nhl roman yossi is one of the best defensemen they're one of the the herd line is just they're just absolute a, a joy to watch i love watching them start a third period with a lead like it's they set the tone every time they're out there it's just they're it's just a testament to how complete an overhaul John Hines, David Poyle, those star players, the second tier players, the third tier players, UC Saros. Like I, again, we could be doing this next week and they could have lost both games and we'll be having another conversation about how the team is up and down, but it's hard to look at this team. And I don't think they're going to, and this can be a moment of transition unless you've got more to add on the, on the player grades. If there's anything you want to add to this, I don't know if you, if you do or not, but I think it speaks to this final conversation, which is a look at the Western conference where Colorado has lost eight times all season. <laughs> That's an absurd thing. Including, and, including overtime. No, just eight regulation losses, but that is an absurd number. They've only played four fewer games than Nashville. They're four points up currently as we record. I think they are going to disappear. 
they're they're about to disappear. Vegas is now in first place in in the other division. I just think the Western Conference is settling in. And I think the Predators at the two seed dropping no lower than the three seed, that's where I want to see this team finish. I don't think you can expect them to compete with Colorado or even Vegas necessarily. Um, I think, but it does feel like the Western Conference is settling into where it's supposed to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you look at the, you look at the breakdown of the teams based on points percentage right now. Colorado, as you mentioned, 29, eight and three as we record this. They're number one in points and in points percentage. Uh, Minnesota, second um, in points percentage, fourth in points. Um, St. Louis, third and third. Nashville is, has a, is fourth in points percentage, second in overall points. So, you know, what's interesting is if you look at the wild card, if you look at the wild card breakdown just by points in the Eastern Conference, basically we know at this point which eight teams in the Eastern Conference are going to make the playoffs because the the separation between the the second wild card as pretzel as pretzel protests pretzel, um, pretzel disagrees with you you're saying i think pretzel disagrees he of course he always has to bark trouble on the home front pretzel you know breaking out of the the vingan shell and having his own opinions yes do so, not silence the man as i was saying before i was so rudely interrupted <laughs> the separation between boston who is the second wild card team in the in in the Eastern Conference, and Detroit, who is right behind them in the playoff race, is eight points. Um, and, and Detroit has played three more games than Boston. So you can pretty much already know, you pretty much already know which eight teams in the Eastern Conference are, are going to make the playoffs. That's not the case in the Western Conference. I think it's starting to get there. I mean, I think it's starting to get there. Uh, but I do think it's interesting, you know, if you look at the breakdown in the Central Division, Colorado has 61 points, Nashville 57, um, St. Louis 55. Um, in the Pacific, Vegas has 53, Anaheim is 49, Los Angeles has 48. But Minnesota in the first wild card has 53. Yeah. And Dallas has 46. So there's still a lot to be determined in the Western Conference, which makes the, the run much more interesting down the stretch. Well, and I was higher on Winnipeg and Dallas because I thought Winnipeg did enough to address their defense. They have the goaltending, they've got the big time forwards on the top two lines. Uh, you know, there's still time. Dallas was all about staying healthy. Could they stay healthy and, and could they decide what's going to happen with their goaltending? But it, there still is plenty of time for either one of those teams. They're, they're only, you know, like Dallas is only six or seven points back of a wild card spot. So it's not like Dallas or Winnipeg couldn't go on a run and jump in there. It's not like the Eastern Conference. These two, you're, 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 you're right about the Eastern Conference. It's there are massive gaps in both divisions after the top four teams. So I still think there's a lot to be decided because you look in that other division in the Pacific and you've got, you know, Vancouver down there in, in sixth place, seventh place or whatever, all the way up to the, to second place Anaheim. And they're only separated by like seven or eight points. So I think there's a ton still left to be decided in the Western conference. You know, when you look at the, when you look at the central division specifically, so as we said, you know, the predators are in second in points um, Minnesota is four points behind them with six fewer games played. Um, so, and they are uh, two points behind St. Louis with four fewer games played than the Blues. So, one would assume that the Wild are probably going to catch one, if not both of those teams. So, I think the ultimate goal for the Predators should be to finish. You know, I think if they can finish in second place, you know, I think that would be a, a huge success considering our expectations for this season. I think realistically finishing either in third place in the central or in the first wildcard spot seems to be more likely just based on the, on based on uh, the remaining games. Um, but then again, like we both talked about multiple times, we both didn't think this team was going to make the playoffs, you know? So, so, cause here's the, here's the key with that. What, what's the difference? Well, the difference would be if you finish third, your first round playoff series is going to be Minnesota. And we have not seen this team against Minnesota much this year at all. So it will be interesting to see how that season series plays out so we can kind of get a feel for the matchup between Nashville and Minnesota. So the question is going to be, because they're probably going to be better than, like the idea is to not be the second wild card and have to play Colorado. Like that's the key, right? You want to avoid that series. Here's the question. Would you rather play Minnesota or Vegas? Ooh, that's tough. Um, right now well, today. Keep in mind, right now today, I think right now today I'd rather play Minnesota just because you know, one would assume that every you know 
there's one thing we haven't really talked about that much lately, but keep in mind who's going to be playing for the Vegas Golden Knights come playoff time. Jack Eichel on top of Mark Stone <laughs> and Max Pacioretty and, and the rest. So, so I wouldn't want to see Jack Eichel in the first round of the playoffs um, after everything he's been through. So I would rather play Minnesota right now, but it's, it's not an easy choice because Minnesota is a very good team too. Which well, you're going to play good teams no matter what every round, basically. Um, I think it means what you are shooting for is very clearly to be top three in the division. I, I think you're completely satisfied with the third plate finish. It's way better than we anticipated in the division. Fourth place and fifth place would be better than we voted and anticipated in the division, but third place definitely. And I think you get a first round matchup that you feel a little bit more comfortable in. Right. Yes. So I think, again, I think this is where we're at with this team. We're past the halfway mark. They are 13 games above 500. They are a playoff caliber hockey team. And it doesn't look like they're going to slow down much because of how they're built and their identity and what they want, how they want to play. But I think third place is, is what you should be shooting for. No lower than third place. And I, I would consider that a massive step in the right direction. And, and I think it gives yourself a chance to actually win a playoff series or two maybe in the postseason. Yeah, and I know the Predators just had a letdown against the Blues recently going up to nothing and losing that game. Um, I think that would be a really great series. The, the series they had in 2017 was fantastic, um, though it did require me to spend time in St. Louis. Um, sorry <laughs> to those of you that live in St. Louis. I don't think there are very many of you who are listening to this podcast. Your town's okay. It's just okay. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of times I would always root for matchups just based on where I could spend time. It's like, I've been to San Jose. I've been to Anaheim for playoffs. I'd like to go to Colorado, which I ultimately did. Um, you know, so change that. And like when they played Dallas, that was cool. Cause it was different. Um, you know, so of course everything's about me. Um, but from the, from the standpoint of, of the predators, I think finishing in second, I think, like you said, I think best case scenario, of course, is finishing second. I think the worst case that you would hope for, for them is third place. I think you want to stay out of the wild card. Twin, twin cities in, in, the you know, Twin Cities in late May, you could, you could do a lot worse. Early April. Yeah, I, you know what? I've never spent any time in the spring or summer in Minnesota, only when it's negative outside. So. <laughs> you could do a lot worse. Um, also, some numbers here quickly. Um, just to wrap this up, I forgot to include these, but I wanted to because they're very much improved uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. We used to track this on the pod, and now we sort of I, I sort of dropped the, the gloves, the puck, the stick. I don't know. I dropped something. Um, seventh in the NHL in power play, 25%. I think... I think they've had, what, 14 power play goals in 14 games, something like that. Um, they are now 12th in penalty kill in the NHL, 81.6%. So that number has been steadily increasing for the better part of a month. Now they are one of the upper half teams, and they are close to being in the top 10 in penalty kill, which means they are on a tear on the penalty kill. Um, they are 13th in the NHL in goal scoring. Remember, we were talking about this a couple months ago. They were down in the mid-20s. Can they do that? Can they sustain that? Well, they are now the upper half and closing in on a top 10 scoring offense. And they are also ninth in scoring defense goals allowed per game. So uh, when you look at the holistic, very basic, non-fancy stats for this team, it paints a pretty good team, a pretty good picture of a team on special teams, a pretty good picture at scoring, and a pretty good picture at playing defense. So Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about with the grades. Like, yep. There's really not a whole lot to complain about when it comes to this team. Um, so Maybe they're slump-proof, Adam. <laughs> Now they're going to lose. How many games do they play before the next podcast? Only two. They play at Edmonton on Thursday. Then they're off all weekend and play Vancouver at home next Tuesday. So they, they've got a, a light week this week. Rest and relaxation for the Predators. Yeah, so they've... I don't know if we talked about this either because I think we recorded it before it came out. But the, uh, the schedule has been updated um, because of all of the games, um, of all the games that were postponed in December. Uh, so they do have games, uh, more games in February now, and then of course they it were anticipated. Um, the most interesting change, uh, the Washington Capitals who weren't scheduled to come to Nashville until April 2nd will now be coming on February 15th. That of course will be the first time that Peter Laviolette has been in Nashville since he was fired. Uh, I, I did think it was interesting that they moved that game up basically two months. <laughs> They're a good hockey team, Washington is right now. They're one of those eight that are in the uh, above the line in in uh, in the Eastern Conference. So 
Um, that will be, I can't, that'll be an interesting, I, I, you know, again, so many memories with those, those teams that are so important to the franchise and, and the growth of hockey in this market. Um, but also just such a surly guy. <laughs> so, so, uh, we'll see what I, I was reminded of Peter Laviolette earlier this week, listening to Mike Vrabel do media after the Titans lost. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got a very like, you know, I, the, did your eyes start twitching? <laughs> it did bring back some memories. Wouldn't say they were positive, but you know, I, it, it, it was very reminiscent of the, yeah. you know, a very defiant Mike Vrabel. Yes, um, yes. And Peter Laviolette was like that till the bitter end. Adam, you can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Pay for good journalism at the Athletic. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall on Twitter. Then we got a YouTube page now for all the 440 Sports pods. We got at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook. You got the Instagram accounts. Check out all the socials as well. Um, Gold Standard is brought to you by the wonderful people at Jaspers. They have great specials for all Predators fans. They are your place to go watch the Nashville Predators and drink a cocktail named after a podcast. I know most of you listening have always dreamed about going to have a cocktail named after a podcast, and now you can do it. At Jasper's, you can drink the gold standard while listening to the gold standard. Adam, thank you so much, man. Great to see you. Great for hanging out. Thank you so much. Um, you'll have some some news for everybody coming up next week, so everybody stay tuned to Adam's Twitter account, at Adam Vingan. Um, keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right? Sound good? Yes, sounds good. There you go. Thank you guys all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.